Welcome to I Hadn't Considered That. I'm Vanessa Torrey, and each week I'll be joined by guests whose perspectives and uncommon experiences can help us better understand each other and the world around us. The unique and inspiring stories you'll hear will make you feel connected to parts of people and life that you hadn't yet considered. Until now. Hi there, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of I Hadn't Considered That. Thank you guys for coming back and joining me again this week. I love getting to share this space with you and getting to introduce you to some incredible people. I have to tell you that this week's episode was so much fun for me to record. Joining me is my friend Heather McDonald, who is a professional women's Highland Games athlete, amateur strongwoman athlete, co-owner of Unbroken Strength Gym in Peoria, Arizona, and a professor of English. She has been involved in strength sports community as an athlete and organizer for nearly two decades and currently resides here in Phoenix, Arizona. I have absolutely enjoyed getting to know Heather because she posts the most incredible and inspiring stories on her social media, all of which will be linked in the show notes. And I have watched her over the last couple years do amazing things, not only with the strength that she has and that she can demonstrate with the competitions in which she participates, but her mindset is one that is so transformative and is such an amazing message for anybody, specifically women who may be struggling, especially as we all come out of the pandemic, having gained a few pounds, having not been as active as we once were, and trying to grapple with that. We have some really great conversation about what it means to be in the female body, what the expectations are, how we can push those expectations, and how we can push ourselves, reframe how we think about health and happiness and strength and body image. What's really fun is this is actually going to be the first part of a two-part series in which we're talking about the human body, but we're talking about it in different contexts. So this week, we're going to talk to Heather about growing as an athlete and as a person and taking talent that you have, moving it to the next level and helping that to allow you to understand your own capabilities and who you are as a person. And then next week, we're going to be talking to my friend Art, who has a very different story. Art's background does not stem from building strength, but his transformation is just as incredible having lost 300 pounds. And so we're going to talk to Art about where he got to that decision and how it has changed and affected his life. So this is going to be a fun ride for us. Please join me for both episodes in the series. And also remember to jump on to social media, enjoy some other content that we have that's related. We always want to open up the door to conversation. We're doing some really fun things on the Patreon where we have started up our Friday check-ins, where we just explore topics a little bit more. We have dedicated posts toward topics on the dedicated Facebook page for the Patreon. So please come and have fun with us. Until then, I really hope that you enjoy today's episode. Sitting with me today is my friend, Heather McDonald, who is a tremendous human being and an incredibly strong woman in more ways than one. Heather, I always start off each podcast because this is about 
perspectives and people's stories. And I want people to connect with you and your story. So I always ask, what can you tell us about you? Can you tell us your story? Oh, that's, that's quite the lead in. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, I, I suppose I would consider myself sort of a regular person that's had the good luck and privilege of doing a lot of really cool, weird stuff, um, sort of by way of being relatively strong at some things. Um, you know, I just had this conversation with a fellow uh, athlete that it's kind of a surreal thing to think about the experiences that I've been able to have and the people I've been able to meet um, just through my involvement in strength sports. So I have a, a track and field background. I have a uh, Scottish Highland Games background and now strongman background. I co-own a strongman gym um, and have you know, been involved in strength sports for, I, I guess, pretty close on 20 years now. And so that's, that's kind of my part of my identity, a big part of my identity as a, as a human, as a woman. And that's sort of juxtaposed with, you know, I'm also in higher education. So I've been teaching college writing classes, so English composition rhetoric since 2008. So, you know, one of those identities or one of those endeavors is very cerebral and the other is very physical, but, you know, both of those I think are, are who make me a person. Uh, but certainly the, the physical endeavors are, you know, where I've met a lot of my friends and had a lot of the experiences that I think have shaped um, who I am, particularly as a woman and as someone that struggles with, you know, body identity or body image and all of the things, all the challenges that a lot of us women face, but are kind of in the forefront uh, for strength sports. That is an incredible mix of just activities. Of course, I know you from the gym, so... Mm -hmm. You and I met at Die Hard when I had started going a couple of years ago. And I always knew you as Highland Heather because I think that's, <laughs> yeah. how, that's how so many people at the gym uh, referred to you. Yeah. And I remember there was a poster at the gym that had you on it. But I think at that point you had dyed your hair or something. I didn't make the connection who was who. <laughs> and when I first started going to the gym, I was floored at what I was seeing people do and especially women, because that was not something that I had realized was possibility for us, let alone me. So to see that was really inspirational to me. How did you get started in the strength training and the competition that you did? You said that you had a track and field background, and I can see that with some of the stuff that I've seen you do. How did you get to um, Heather, the strength trainer? I do have a track and field background. Um, I competed in uh, the throwing events, um, in college, um, was a track athlete in high school and then transitioned that into college. Um, and I wasn't, you know, fully scholarships. I was a, a walk-on athlete. So I always felt like I was very lucky to be there. And I feel like I had a, a pretty good work ethic and just really enjoyed being a track athlete. And, you know, it, it was definitely a, a really influential period in my life because it introduced me to, you know, kind of getting my feet wet in what it meant to be strong. Um, and of course you can't compete as a track athlete forever. So when my eligibility, uh, ran out, I, one of my teammates actually had told me about the Highland games and he had gone to do, uh, he was a year ahead. And so, um, he was, you know, released from his duties as an athlete. And so he had gone to this little small competition in Oxnard, California. He competed there and he said, I really think you would like this. And you know, for track athletes in college, unless you are really, really talented and you are Olympics bound, 
there's not really a lot of outlets for you. So that was a huge opportunity for me because I was already kind of feeling like, wow, you know, once I'm done with college athletics, what the heck am I going to do? You know? And, and I definitely had a little bit of that, you know, kind of going from being in a very private, awesome facility to having to go back to, you know, work out at 24 hour fitness or, or EOS or something like that. So it was, I was a little bit nervous about that shift. And so I went to this, this competition with my, my teammate and I just fell in love with it. The community was wonderful. It was, you know, your fellow competitor helps you out. Um, even if you have no experience, um, everybody's so, so supportive and yeah, you're competing against your, you know, your fellow athletes, but the community was not like anything else I had experienced. I think in track and field, it's a little bit more isolating, a a lot more serious, (laughs) um, a little more intense. This was great for me kind of exiting, you know, I was at the tail end of my master's degree and needed something to kind of be an outlet outside of that. Like I said, that cerebral nature of, of. Uh, teaching and academics, that was kind of history. That was 2006. And so I've been competing in Highland Games for, you know, 15-ish years or so. The last two years, not as much, particularly because of the pandemic, um, some nagging knee injuries, things like that. But the cool thing about that is, you know, because of the people I was able to meet through Highland Games, through traveling, competing, you know, I've been competed in several different countries and competed at world championships seven or eight times, nationals seven or eight times. And so I've been able to meet a lot of really awesome people and also be exposed to other strength sports, you know, met a lot of people that are involved with arm lifting, which is like grip, grip competitions or uh, strongman. Um, you know, I've met a couple of athletes who did uh, female athletes that did strongman and as well as Highland games. And I did do that for several years, sort of was a dual sport athlete kind of made a, an impromptu transition into training for strongman again, sort of by accident locally out here. Um, you know, there's a, a pretty famous, um, strongman, Jerry Pritchett, yeah. world's strongest man competitor, Jerry Pritchett's gym was out here. So I started training there actually through meeting a couple of people at diehard gym who had been doing powerlifting and strongman at the same time. And they said, Hey, you know, we know you're involved in other strength sports. Why don't you come check out some strongman practices? And I thought, I don't know, you know, I've, I've, I knew a couple of other women in Highland games that had done it. But I always felt like, well, I'm not strong enough to do that. You know, I have to be at, there's like this quota of strength that you have to meet in order to (laughs) to start something, right? Which I know now is kind of silly. I have a little bit of a frame of a reference having been at Die Hard and seeing some folks train for some of these competitions. But I think a lot of people that are listening might not have a frame of reference for what we're talking about. So I have seen some of your videos that blow my mind with you (laughs) throwing things over your head. I think one of them was like a (laughs) keg. I'm like, did she just throw a keg over her head over a bar? I think one of them was you with this huge sandbag lifting something over like another bar. There's a lot of bars apparently that are involved in strongman competitions. Yeah. So (laughs) can you help folks who might not be familiar with the competitions or gym culture to give them an idea? Because you said that you weren't that strong and I disagree. I think that you're incredible, but I want folks to understand a little bit about what we're talking about when you talk about strongman competitions, what are you doing? And give us some numbers so that people can understand just what we're talking about in terms of actual physical weight and strength. Yeah. So, you know, strongman competitions, you know, obviously are open to men and women alike. You've probably seen the world's strongest man competitions on 
TV before. It's pure feats of strength. Not all of the feats of strength are static. A lot of them are. So in a typical strongman competition, uh, amateur strongman competition, you'll have generally five events, you know, sometimes six. Um, one of those events will probably be some kind of press, like an overhead press. So we'll press, you know, an axle bar or um, sometimes a log. There'll usually be some kind of deadlift from the floor and there's, you know, different variations of the different kind of deadlift you can do with a barbell, with an axle, you know, with, with other different kinds of, of implement. Sometimes you'll see the big giant wagon wheel deadlifts where, you know, people are lifting, guys are lifting a thousand pounds off the floor and some type of medley, some type of moving event where you have to, you know, like you said, carry a sandbag and load it over a bar, load it onto a platform. Everyone's probably seen the Atlas stones. It's kind of the quintessential strongman event. I'm doing a contest in April in Flagstaff where we have a five keg series. And so the kegs are weighted, you know, you start at one weight and you have five kegs and you have a minute and you have to load all of those kegs over a bar in under a minute and do it as fast as you possibly can. And, and they're heavy. <laughs> so what are you with your five kegs? What are you trying to hit as what you're trying to move? Okay. So for that particular competition, like I said, it's a timed event. So for that event, um, I think my Bottom keg is 125. And then I think the top one is 225. And so our goal is to just get those over in a series. You got to start with the lightest one and then go to the heaviest one, get those over that bar as fast as possible. And the fastest time wins. And how high is the bar? Uh, this one is going to be 46 inches. Okay. Ch child size. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Let me just take this keg and I'm going to just chuck it over a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I learned when I started at the gym is that there seemed to be two groups when it came to athletes that are lifting. And this sort of applied to men and it applied to women. Women either fell into, you are going to be a figure athlete mm. in which the goal was for you to be as lean as humanly possible, or you were going to be a strength athlete mm. in which you were going to be as strong as you possibly could be. And there's two conflicting ideas there. So there's sort of this idea of women are either going to be small or they're going to be not small. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that you have been such an incredible champion for is that women don't have to fall into any bucket at all, that we can look how we want to look and we can feel how we want to feel and we can do what we want to do, which takes me to you have one of my favorite tattoos of anybody that I know that has tattoos. And I know that you know what, what I'm talking yeah. about. Share with the listeners that tattoo and why you got it and what it means for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Um, so I got the take up space tattoo in 2016. I, yeah. 2016. So I, you know, as a woman, I've struggled with body image, you know, my whole life, just like a lot of, a lot of women have, you would sort of think that as an athlete, that, that we would be immune to that, you know, because so much of our identity and so much of our purpose as athletes is, is practical. And, and I will say, I'm, I've never been involved in, you know, figure or bodybuilding or some of the more aesthetic endeavors, you know, so, so I can't speak to that because I've always been involved with just strength sports and, you know, the, the tape says what it says and the, the number on the weight says what it says, but we're not immune to that. 
And so I did struggle with body image and still do sometimes, um, was kind of a bigger, bigger girl in high school. I think I was probably like, like two thirty or so in high school and then lost a bunch of weight. Uh, when I started competing in college and track and field, you know, kind of yo-yoed around, definitely experienced the being encouraged by authority figures to, you know, try and drop your body fat. You're going to be a lot faster, even though I was a, you know, for track and field, for the field events, for throwers, we don't have to necessarily be big and giant, but you know, there is something to be said about mass moves mass, right? There was kind of this constant back and forth of I'm an athlete by definition. So if I'm an athlete, then I have to have visible abs, right? Or if I'm an athlete, I have to, you know, have this specific kind of muscle definition, you know, as a 20, 20 year old woman or 21 year old woman that kind of psychologically does some damage. So I carried right. that. And it's very prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I carried that with me, you know, exiting college, finishing my college athletic career. Um, and definitely, you know, because I wasn't competing as much because I didn't, I wasn't going to practice every day and, and doing a, a ton of cardio and stuff, put on some weight and then, you know, kind of got more serious about getting into the Highland games and just started training more and lifting more. And, you know, felt a little better about myself, felt like, okay, I feel good. I feel good in my body. Uh, but I still, there was always that nagging feeling of, I could just be a little leaner and it was always, you know, I could be a little leaner. I could be a little smaller. And then that would somehow transfer over to being a better athlete. And I remember in 2015, I uh, hired a nutrition coach. I had seen it all over Instagram and you know, some of my friends had used this particular meal planning company. And so I, I hired a one-on-one coach. And it was really, really expensive. It was hundreds and hundreds of dollars, like, like as much as my mortgage to, you know, hire this person to, to help me, you know, figure out my macros and figure out my meal planning and nutrition and all that. You know, my goal, I wanted to lean out kind of arbitrarily just for the sake of leaning out. And I realized now that was kind of silly at that, at that point, after nine months or so of working with this person, I had a little bit of results, but not really the results I was looking for. Um, and I was tired all the time and I was hungry all the time. And I, you know, I had told the coach, you know, I really feel like I need more calories. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty exhausted all the time. And, um, at one point I remember towards the end of my contract with the coach, uh, saying, you know, I'm really not getting the results that I want. And I'll never forget it. Her words were, I'm not really sure why you're not getting results unless you're just not trying. And that was kind of like, no. a, yeah, it was like one of those things where you read, you read a paragraph and a certain sentence just kind of, you know, pops out at you. And so, oh my God, I, everything is for me just standing up on it. You're right. not trying. Yeah. And, and certainly I was trying. Right. Um, and, and I understand, you know, from a coach's perspective, there are people that, that don't try. Right. Um, but I, you know, I responded and I said, you know, my contract's up at the end of this you know, month or week or whatever. Um, I think I'm just going to take a break and I'm going to let my body take up some space for a while. And so that's Love kind of where that, it. yeah. So that's kind of where that came from sort of serendipitously. I ended up going back home to visit, uh, my sister back in LA. I, I ended up, you know, my, my sister was like, let's go get tattoos. And I said, yeah, let's go get tattoos. And so that was the phrase that I ended up getting. And so it's become obviously a mantra for me, but I, I was just having this conversation with a friend just recently about it's definitely not something that just means that that story to me um, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and I've 
it's taken on new meaning, you know, in the last few years, whether it's obviously with body image, like physically taking up space for people of color, specifically for women of color, that idea of taking up space has a completely different meaning. Right. And so I feel very blessed (laughs) that that my brain just kind of attached to that because that's what I go back to every time I'm feeling, yes. you know, kind of down, I'm feeling like, you know, having not a good body image day, or I'm feeling like I have imposter syndrome, um, you know, to, okay. You know, for lack of a better term, okay, bitch, take up some space. You're going to be fine. I love it. <laughs> yes. I love it because there's, there are so many different facets to that, whether it is the physical space or the emotional space that we have, or even the space that we are reclaiming as ours, that is not supposed to be ours. There's a, there's so much space that women don't take up because I really think that women are, and even as girls, we are trained and taught that we are supposed to be small. I mean, even think about, I think about the take up space in, um, I have a serious issue with man spreading serious issue. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Anybody that's ever sat on a plane or public transit and you got the guy that just men sit down. I think one of the most fascinating things in the entire world is watch a man walk into a room and sit on a couch. They become like this weird (laughs) jungle creature that's just like, this is mine. I'm going to take all of it. (laughs) And then women, we come in and we find a chair and we sit down and we daintily cross our legs because we are told not to take up space. That is not ours. We don't get it. And at the same time, there is this value that is placed on women being as small as possible. But there is this idea that I think women have, and I've been prey to that, right? That the smaller that I am, the more valuable that I am. And the bigger that I become, the less valuable I become, whether it's to my work environment, (laughs) whether it's to how people see me, and certainly with how men see me. And I went through periods where I was trying to lose weight, not necessarily in the most healthy way. I've had done fad diets and that's how I actually got to the gym is I had posted something on Facebook after Mm -hmm. the last star Wars movie that Carrie Fisher was in because people were fat shaming Carrie Fisher. And -hmm. I was having none of that bullshit. That's not okay yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Of course, <laughs> I'm writing about yeah, this, so about how we should not fat shame people while I'm sitting at a Mexican restaurant watching a bowl game with a plate of nachos and a margarita that has a beer in it, <laughs> right? Because that is, that is my authority that yeah. I'm speaking from about how we should feel about health. And that's when I got the message from Clay, my trainer, to say, hey, I don't want this to sound off-putting, but I kind of specialize in middle-aged women that aren't happy with how they're looking and feeling. And I jumped on that. It is different when you shift your mindset of there's a difference in what my body looks like versus what it can do. And I started to become much more okay Mm -hmm. with my physical appearance. When I realized I can go into the gym and deadlift 275 pounds And it's pretty damn easy. And I'm celebrating that accomplishment rather than the number on the scale because one has more meaning for me because partly one is just genetics. The other one, I'm working my ass off to make sure happens. And I want to celebrate that achievement. But I don't think that society has necessarily walked down that road with us, right? 
Yeah, I think that, and that's, you know, that's something that you'll hear kind of echoed in, in strongman, particularly in, you know, the women's side of strongman in that, you know, there's still sort of this unfortunate, I guess, underbelly, uh, actually underbelly is probably not the right word. There's an unfortunate uh, facet of, you know, strength sports that in order to become more mainstream, because strength sports are, are largely not fully mainstream. You know, you still, you're going to see some strongman competitions on TV, um, on ESPN and things like that. Um, you'll see the, the big boys, the, the, you know, world strongest man competitors, certainly, but in order for women to be seen in that way, in a more mainstream way, that there's still this, you know, unspoken and sometimes spoken expectation of being marketable. And in order to be marketable to a wider audience, you know, we have to look a certain way. And so that's problematic because, you know, I'm a, I'm a heavyweight competitor, right. And I've competed at middleweight before. Um, but the, the sad reality is that your average heavyweight competitor is not going to be seen as marketable, you know, for, for television purposes, partially because, you know, the general population is not, like you said, hasn't walked down that road yet fully. They're not fully invested enough to say, oh, wow, that's an athlete. Right. Um, and, and we've sort of seen that narrative before in, you know, things like the ESPN's body issue, um, you know, where they, you know, put kind of the, the, I love the body issue. Love it. I love it. Every year I look, I look so forward to to seeing it's incredible. It's so great to see all these different types of bodies and all of them are athletes and their specialties in their, you know, their own individual way. Um, you know, but you still get like, you know, I remember, uh, was it Prince Fielder, uh, was on the, the cover of the body issue. Um, you know, and he's, he, he's a thick boy <laughs> and, you know, and so that's, and that's kind of a good example too, of, you know, he's a guy and, and he's still getting that, you know? Um, but I do think that it, it is a bit harder for women, you know, particularly for, you know, a sport that's already sort of niche, that's already, you know, there's not a lot of money opportunities. We're not making tons of money in strongman. It's, it's, you know, there's some, but, um, especially for the women, there's, there's hardly any. Um, and so it's, there's definitely this challenge that's always there, no matter what you do to be seen as, you know, marketable and social media definitely, you know, adds another problematic layer to that in that, you know, if you want to get sponsorships and be, be seen as legitimate or relevant that there's this pressure to be marketable on social media as well. Going back to that idea of, you know, it's, we should focus on what our bodies can do rather than what they look like. Um, we have to just keep thinking that, right. So like in your experience, it was empowering, I imagine to absolutely. Yeah. To say, Incredible. Hey, look what I just did. That's why I really think there's, there's two things that I think, and in my complete non-expert uh, opinion that women should do, uh, in order to feel more fulfilled. And, and I just base that on, these are two things that have made me feel more completely fulfilled as a human. One of them is strength training, um, in, in whatever that looks like, right. So that could just be, you know, going to a, a big box gym two days a week and, you know, just lifting some, some weights, some dumbbells, doing something active, right. Um, to improve your strength week over week. Um, and then the other thing is spending time alone, um, yes. you know, which may be a, a separate conversation conversation entirely, but, um, spending time truly alone, uh, you know, in, again, in whatever way that looks for you, whether it's, you know, taking yourself out to 
a movie by yourself or um, camping in the desert. Yeah, you know, that's my jam. Something like that. It's the best. (laughs) It's the best. And it really forces you in the same way that strength training does. It puts you outside of your comfort zone and sort of forces you to think about your your fears and your biases and how you perceive the world around you and how you want to be perceived. And so I just think those are really important things for us to do as women. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. One of the things that you had mentioned really kind of struck me, which is the idea of trying to grow some sort of following, some sort of audience in order to promote the sport, which inevitably involves social media promotion posts. And from my experience, you have the people that you are hitting and you love it because that reinforcement comes back that this journey and this path that you're on not only is wonderful for you, but is inspiring others. And then there is the shit storm of people who do not get it and they're not here for it. And I know that that is something that you have dealt with that makes me angry for you and angry for anybody else, especially any woman that presents herself to the world in any way that might be vulnerable. And you are there. I don't, I can't imagine that anybody would look at that and say, oh, well, that was, you know, just a 225 pound king. (laughs) But how do we deal with that in getting into our vulnerable selves? Yeah. And that's, man, it's hard. (laughs) It's not an overnight process by any means. Um, I think that there's not really a, you know, a one size fits all answer to that. Um, except for, I do think that it's important to call those people out. What that looks like is different depending on the situation. So, you know, like you said, I've gotten, you know, mean comments before, um, you know, on pictures or, you know, through DMS, um, and, there's been a couple of times where I have interacted with that person directly. Um, I can think of one time um, I, I sort of just got a wild hair and I had a guy, I, I threw, up, threw up a picture of um, me throwing a caber. So if anybody's not familiar with that for Highland Games, um, it's the, the thing that looks like a telephone pole. We're looking like, it looks like we're throwing a telephone pole. Sure. So I thought it was a really cool shot. And, you know, this guy made a comment something like, um, oh, that dude is really jacked or that dude is really buff or something, you know, trying to be funny on my, on my picture. And, you know, so I thought about it and, you know, a lot of my friends came to my defense and it was very nice of them, but it, it wasn't very difficult for me to see his Instagram name, look up his Instagram name on Facebook, see that he had a significant other because his Facebook was public, um, which, you know, that's his fault. Um, Facebook was public, uh, found his wife or significant other and just messaged her and said, Hey, um, you know, I'm not trying to start any trouble, but you know, I sent her a screenshot. I said, you know, this looks like your, your person, your significant other. These are the kinds of things that he's saying to women online. You're a beautiful woman. I would hate to see this comment made to you. And I just wanted to let you know that this is something that was happening. And she was very receptive and said, I'm so sorry. Um, You know, I'm going to go have a talk with him. And then she came back later and said, I talked to him and he feels really bad about what he did. And he deleted his comment. And so, you know, the point wasn't for him to delete his comment. He could leave it up there for all I care. It was, you know, I, I could have approached it as in, you know, telling him to F off and, you know, and that's fine. And I have done that before, but 
sometimes I think that's the better way to go. And who knows, maybe he'll continue to do that in the future, but, but maybe not, right? Maybe if he has his, a woman in his life, you know, telling him, Hey, you know, don't do that. That's, that could be me, you know, maybe it helps. Right. right? But then there's other situations where people are just really, really awful and they need to be called out in a more public way. Um, and I've done that before too. I love the fact that you went to a source that had influence. You as Heather, the person in the picture can tell that guy to go kick rocks, but you're just Heather that's throwing this huge pole up in the air. He has no connection to you. So when you say that, your words don't hit, right? But the person that he lives with every day, the person that he has committed himself to, their words hit. Women also have to deal with, there's a little bit of that internalized misogyny. Yes. Yeah. And that's, man, it, you hit the nail on the head because that definitely exists obviously it exists in, you know, mainstream culture, um, but it does exist in strength sports. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I think that we are a community in strength sports, particularly in strongman, that we are very supportive of each other, um, you know, on game day, uh, on social media for the most part, but you're right in that there is still this attitude that, you know, says, yes, we can be strong, but we have to also look, you know, pretty, or we have to look, like I said, marketable in order to be considered legitimate. And that's really unfortunate. And I feel like it comes from, it does come from internalized misogyny and, and people push back on that. Right. So, you know, people push back on the idea that they're, that they're saying or doing things that maybe even they don't realize that they're a part of this larger system because we're, we're sort of raised to believe that, you know, we're all individuals and we make our own choices, but really we're, you know, conditioning is really strong, right. And conditioning takes a long time to, you know, to unlearn kind of a memory that, that speaks to that in that when I used to train before I started, um, before I moved to Phoenix, um, I used to live in LA and, I trained at a 24 hour fitness after I stopped, um, you know, competing in college for a while and just a regular public 24 hour fitness. And I remember, you know, I was doing my, my workout, you know, squats or something. And I remember seeing this woman there and I'd seen her there several times before. And she was, I would guess probably, you know, late thirties, early forties. I think I was 23 or so at the time. And she always had, you know, super tight clothing on, you know, either like small booty shorts or, or tight spandex, sports bra, ton of makeup, hair was done. Um, and she would always train in front of a mirror. And, you know, again, I was younger and I was still in that mindset of, you know, why is she dressed like that? You know, why does she have a, all that, why does she have that clothing on? Why does she have a full face of makeup on? Why is her hair done? You know, because in my mind, I thought this is how this narrow box is how you have to look when you're in the gym, right. That you're supposed to look, you know, kind of grungy, like I, like I looked (laughs) right. So, and it, the reason I bring that up is, you know, I had seen that woman there several weeks in a row. At one point I was squatting. She came over and she complimented me on my squat. And she said, Oh my gosh, that you, it looks so strong, you know, great job. Like the, your form looks really great. And so I instantly had to do a check of myself an ego check because I was sort of silently judging this person and she had nothing but nice things to say to me. So that completely flipped it around. Yeah, right? of course. And we got to talking to her and I found out that, you know, she said, nobody ever really talks to me in the gym, you know, thank you. So thank you for talking to me. 
because she was a, a she was a choreographer, um, but she trained because she was dancing in like music videos and stuff. And so she said, yeah, that's why I always wear, you know, kind of weird outfits and I always have makeup on. And I didn't bring it up. She was the one that brought it up, made me think, man, I am really being the kind of person that I don't want to be. Right. And so, you know, obviously that was years ago, but I think about that every time I hear about that, that attitude of, you know, women not supporting each other. Um, you know, and that's not to say you have to like everyone, obviously there's some people you're not going to get along with, but you know, we don't have to, to look a certain way to do anything. Oh no, no, not at all. And I think that there's a issue with comparison as well. And I think that that's, that's something absolutely that I've struggled with is I'll go to the gym and I will see what other people are lifting. I will see how other people look. And it's hard for me not to ingest that in some sort of way. I want to be lifting that, or I want to be looking like that. Or if I could, if I could lean out, then I could have abs like that person. Or why aren't my quads Mm -hmm. growing? And I understand that I have just a genetic form that I'm (laughs) tall and lanky. And so my butt and my thighs are never going to get all big and meaty. That's just not the way I'm built. I just like, feel like I'm like a rubber band that is stretched as long as it's going to go. This is just how it's going to be. But I think that part of the negativity that we feel toward others also stems in our own comparison. And to that, I think there's a third leg to the stool that we haven't talked about, which is the health aspect of that. Mm, Yeah. And how that keys into how we feel and how we perceive ourselves. Because I think that there are people that we will see that are thinner and associate thinness with health. And the person Mm -hmm. that's thin isn't necessarily healthy. And the person that is thicker is not necessarily unhealthy. Right. There's There's a difference and there's sort of a conflict And it's certainly not a new narrative, right? That we've heard, you know, this, we associate, you know, thinness with health. And there's a whole, you know, whole other layer to that, as far as, you know, looking at, um, you know, people of color, specifically women of color, in that there's thinness and whiteness is associated with health, right? And so, you know, we're already kind of starting at a deficit. And so when you move into, when you move from that mainstream idea of thinness is health, and you apply it to, you know, string sports. Um, it we try we're trying to make a, a square peg fit a round hole, right? Because it's even more apparent in in string sports. So like going back to that, you know, the body issue, there are lots of different ways to be an athlete in whatever sport you're in. And so, you know, it's it's interesting to hear people sort of say, well, you know, that heavyweight athlete. Um, you know, if they had abs or if they looked this way, then they would be a better heavyweight athlete. Well, then maybe they wouldn't be a heavyweight anymore. So are we trying to get them to not be a heavyweight? Is that really what we're doing? Um, and you know, I, that's also why I sometimes use the, uh, the hashtag promoting obesity (laughs) because can we talk about that for a second? Yes. I absolutely hate that term. I think it's stupid and I, it's so dumb because how does one exactly promote obesity, right? 
first of all, obesity is something that has to be measured. It's measured by BMI, right? Which, we Which all is know bullshit. Is horseshit. So, you know, if obesity is measured by BMI, right? How do you know that person's BMI? You don't, right? Unless you're their doctor, you don't know that person's BMI. So really when you look at someone, you know, let's say it's a, you know, a heavy set woman wearing a bikini and you say, you shouldn't be doing that. You're promoting obesity, right? Which I've seen a ton of times. Well, are you saying if you don't know her BMI, you're saying she's promoting obesity, you're, you're, the connotation there is that she's promoting something bad, but you don't know if she's actually obese. What you're actually saying is that you just don't like the way she looks. Like, let's right. just come out and say that instead, but people don't want to do that. Right. And they don't want to see her in a bathing suit. Like it's right. okay that you're, if you're going to be quote unquote obese, you have to be obese in the privacy of your own home. By no means should you go out to a swimming pool, which again, more bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I sort of love, I get a kick out of using that. And I've, I've only had a few people actually ask about it. Um, maybe because they know that I'm being, <laughs> being snarky, but, um, you know, I, and I've explained it as well, I'm obese, right. By BMI, I'm 200 pounds and I'm five, nine, I'm considered obese for my, uh, you know, according to the BMI and always the answer is well, but you don't look obese and that's, that's it right now. We've, we've caught them because that's, that's the issue. Okay. So if you're saying you don't look obese, now you're just, you're owning yourself. You, you've just told me that you only really care about how people present themselves to you. So it's not a health, it's not an actual health thing. It's an aesthetics thing. And so right. people are conflating the two and under the guise of, I'm just concerned about your health. Well, you're not though, because you don't know anyone else's health, health markers. Right. Right. Um, you know, is, is my blood pressure high or my triglycerides high? Um, you know, what, what are my other health markers? Like, is my blood work good? Like I get my blood work done all the time and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it's beyond just the fact that we don't know people's BMI, but we're going to see right. somebody who is thicker and assume that they're unhealthy mm -hmm. without having any understanding of what their diet actually is yep. or why. I mean, somebody that is competing at your level can't be eating a 1500 calorie diet every day. There's just no damn way that you're going to be able to move anything. Right. So it's also, it doesn't mean that the person who is five, nine and weighs 140 pounds is eating in any healthier way that you are. And mm -hmm. so I would love to see a shift toward, let's just drop the expectation of what our bodies are supposed to look like. Let's focus mm -hmm. on what they feel like internally. This whole idea that we have that, um, our bodies dictate our health. And on some level, I understand that may be true. People who have a greater waist circumference may be at higher risk of developing diabetes mm -hmm. or for having hypertension, things like that. I understand that. But we have to look at the whole picture and set our goals for ourselves accordingly and then set our expectations for others accordingly. I'm so excited for um, what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I have loved following your journey. Thank you. And seeing your accomplishments. And this has been such an amazing conversation. I'm so excited to Yay. share it with folks. Me too. But I thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you.
thanks for this opportunity. It's really cool to kind of share, share all this stuff with everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon. Mm -hmm.